Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Riders and Fighters. I'm your host, AJ Ortega, and as you know, each and every week, I interview an author, somebody who writes, or I interview somebody involved in combat sports. Today, I have Dylan Dunbar, a former independent pro wrestler who now owns and runs the San Antonio promotion Heavy Metal Wrestling. Me and Dylan know a lot of the same people, but we've never worked together, you know, in his capacity as a promoter and mine as a a referee. So it was good to finally talk to him and confirm my suspicions that he is a cool-ass dude. We talk about his time watching wrestling with his family, his eventual training, the transition into promoting, the effects of COVID on the independent wrestling scene, and how he specifically is trying to provide a new progressive approach to the indie wrestling business. And it's a good talk, and he's a, a, a good guy. So, And you can support Heavy Metal Wrestling at heavymetalwrestling.com and fi- find all their links to social media there. But before we get to that interview, uh, I got a recap really quickly of the boxing fight over the weekend. Saul Canelo Alvarez, pound for pound, best fighter, arguably. Not really a good argument if you argue against it. He He's the best active boxer in most people's perceptions. Uh, and again, he's a, a super big Mexican star, so it's really cool for Mexicans and Mexican-Americans and, and Latinos at large because he uh, went on record last week or a week before doing interviews and promos for this. But he said, yeah, I'm Mexican and, and happy and all this stuff to represent my country, but I represent all Latinos because, you know, Latino households in general are fight fans. And so it's always news when there's a big Mexican fight. And so Canelo took on Avni Yildrim, and it was on the that DAZN channel. Super middleweight, 168. And Canelo's trying to unify the titles there. I guess it's, uh, uh, what is it, uh, WBC, WBA, and then the next fight coming up will be the WBO. And there's another one. I don't. There's, the point is, there's too many belts, and he's trying to unify them. Anyhow, and so he looked great, too good. He looked too good in comparison to Yildrim, who was not aggressive, not accurate, relied on counter punching, and not a lot of it. Canelo's jab was getting through the guard pretty consistently, but one of the things I saw that I really liked was that he showed this this slicing uppercut that found its mark several times, and uh, Yildrim was taking taking a beating. He was, uh, but that uppercut was really impressive to me. And, and Canelo's so fast and so strong, it was impressing me more than that the left hook that he's known for and, and a lot of Mexican fighters are known for. And that left hook was there all day, but that uppercut was snappy and, like, different, in the, like, uh, different than, like, the, the Tyson uppercut right short compact inside because of that body and weight difference but Canelo he had uh, a little bit more space in the range not completely inside but he's fast enough to shoot that left uppercut from the hip 
giving him more torque on it. Really impressive, real snappy. And that left to the body, it was there, um, but he was utilizing a whole lot of other, a lot of other techniques. Uh, and he did land that body body shot uh, a handful of times and certainly did damage. He was also going up top with it, and and uh, Avni blocked most of it. But I think that blocking those shots up top, you know, protecting protecting his head and catching it on the glove, showed him the power that Canelo has. That even if you block it, he's he's knocking you around. But yeah, Avni Yildrim had really no offense. And he went down in the third. Uh, he goes down from a simple but real powerful one-two uh, with the right, you know, straight right through the guard, uh, putting him on his ass. Uh, and he gets up and like laughs it off, which is stupid. Um, but and and he covered up enough and threw one counter left to keep the ref from stopping it. And he escapes that round. And when he's sitting on the stool. His trainer says he's going to give him one more round, but if he doesn't show him something, he's going to stop it. And the ref and the ring doc come over and, and say something similar, I believe. And I thought he would go out and maybe last another 30 to 60 seconds. But no, somebody else in his corner said to stop the fight, and so they didn't let him off the stool. And so I agree with that. I agree. That's why you have uh, you know multiple people in your corner there, and you have to protect your fighter. He wasn't doing well, and he wasn't going to win. And so why put him out there for even another 30 seconds of punishment? So I don't disagree with that choice. You've got to protect your fighter. But to the point of him having no offense, like I estimated in those three rounds that he landed a dozen shots, 12. And then this morning I looked at the CompuBox numbers, and he landed 11. Canelo landed 67 punches. And 58 of those were power punches. And so ultimately, the math doesn't lie, right? He was just extremely accurate, and Yoldrum had nothing. And so there's like a lot of criticism, or maybe not a lot of criticism, some, some criticism of uh, Canelo fighting like bums and stuff like that. And Yoldrum, to be fair, is not a superstar. He just isn't. The fight was not spectacular. It was lopsided. It just showed somebody that's at a different level, and there it wasn't competitive. But Canelo's trying to collect these belts and unify uh, super middleweight, and he intends to fight four times this year. And so not every fight is going to be uh, Miguel Cotto, a Floyd Mayweather, a Gennady Golovkin. That's, like, not sustainable, right? And, and so he gets another win. He... You know, he completes a mandatory title defense, gets another KO on his record, and life goes on. But it was good to see, um, you know, good to see him active and good to see him sharp, you know, slightly heavier, but just as fast, just as powerful. So it was a good showing for him. And Yildrim got a little beat up, not as much as he potentially could have got beat up, but he got a paycheck too. And so, you know, life will go on for him as well. All right, y'all. So uh, let's get to this interview with Dylan Dunbar. Oh, and 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 we were talking for like fifteen minutes and having a great time when I realized, as a Jabroni podcast host, that I had not pressed the big glowing button on my mixer that says record. So we had to start over, but it came out a little bit more crispy on take two. 
So um, I hope you guys enjoy this interview because I sure did. All right, yeah, I'm sitting here with Dylan Dunbar. We had a little bit of technical difficulty. We had a solid conversation for about ten minutes, but we're going to try to backtrack a little bit. No worries. <laughs> it's going to be good, man. No, I, uh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this interview for a while. Like I said, man. So if we got to do it twice, that's that's cool with me, man. <laughs> that's the that's the nature of the and you know as a promoter these uh, these DIY operations and, and the hiccups that Holy can shit. Yeah. The, and the You're, hiccups that can come from it. You right. are preaching to the choir with that, AJ, man. Let me tell you, bro. <laughs> like, it is one of those things, man. I'm very familiar with the DIY kind of setups and uh, all the the uh, roadblocks that we'll run into, man. It happens, man. That's Bro, that's what heavy metal wrestling was founded on, and that's that's what Dylan Dunbar was founded on, man. Oh, I love it. Okay. And so, and so Dylan Dunbar is the promoter of uh, and creator, the uh, mastermind. Dude, uh, there's... So many hats that I wear in this company. Uh, it's uh, we. I I don't even. I need to find a catch-all trade. I am just a fucking the dude at heavy metal, basically uh, for heavy metal wrestling, and based in San Antonio and South Texas. Uh, I do so so much for this company, and I I love it. And so I've uh, observed you from afar um, because we know a lot of the same people. Uh, I've refereed a little bit there in Central Texas, always been, you know, trying to be connected with the uh, uh, indie wrestling scene and there in Central and South Texas. And so your name was always one of those that was always around, you know, we're, <laughs> we're buddies online, uh, yeah. worked with a lot of the same people. And so we'll get to the promoter stuff. And then before that, you were a wrestler yourself, but you're a San Antonio guy. Are you a San Antonio, Texas guy like... Uh, just a native from from there, yeah, and, and and tell me through a little bit about through, what San, through, San Antonio through, means through, to you. San Antonio is pumping through these veins here, man. I mean, uh, it's a uh, born, raised, bred here, man. Been here for just about every single uh, Spurs championship win, too. You know, uh, it's uh, it's it, yeah, it's always been uh, very important to me. This city. I mean, there's never been really a time that I was that I've moved away from here. Um, there was times that I was looking at possibly moving away, but everything just kind of fell into place where I was able to stay in my hometown. Um, you know, obviously I've moved around in all different parts of this city, man. I love it through and through, man. Uh, San Antonio is, is to me the best city in the world. I, I'm so glad that I, I'm, I live here, uh, and that, uh, I'm able to pop up shop with heavy metal wrestling here and, um, basically call it our home base. You know, it's a good city, man. I'm a, again, I'm a, I'm living in Utah, but I'm a Texas guy, born in Houston, raised in El Paso, lived everywhere, kind of like you, right? And, yeah. and uh, but like, uh, my sister currently lives in San Antonio, spent some time in Austin, grad school in San Marcos, so all that stuff is, uh, and San Antonio grew on me. San Antonio is one of those cities where I was, I don't know, like, and I was living in Austin, and if there's anything that's going to make you appreciate San Antonio, it's living in it's Austin. Austin. And, I, and, I just can't even, and it was when the boom started happening several years ago and all that kind of stuff. And just like got an appreciation for San Antonio. Then also I had um, uh, friends and whatnot you, you show you the good spots and everything. Right. And just seeing how it changed and it evolves. And there's everything you need there in San Antonio. It is a beautiful city. It's a Yeah, man. Great. I mean, it, I, I, I found everything I wanted here. I was when I finished high school, I was. Looking at different, that was really one of the times, one of two times that I was kind of looking outside of San Antonio and just kind of seeing like, all right, man, I'm 
looking at universities, applying to different universities. I mean, I got accepted at as far away as fucking places in Hawaii, a uh, small university in Hawaii. I got accepted <laughs> at a joint in like New Hampshire, you know? So it was one of those, I was, I was an angsty teenager where I was just like, I'm getting the fuck out of San Antonio. I hate it here. You yeah. Know? You put me on that uh, plane to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> Give me as far away from here as possible. Uh, but then it just kind of uh, the, you know, I realized uh, through some like life changes and growing up and maturing just a little bit, um, that, hey, man, that's I, I love this city. You know, it's always done right by me and it's always been good for me. Um, so it was pretty easy for me to enroll at that point at like the UT Health Science Center here in San Antonio. And I started going to school to become a paramedic. And while I was going to school, I was working on an ambulance as, as an EMT, which is very like low ranking, I guess, on that spectrum. Uh, it wasn't wasn't a good time, honestly. And uh, that's how uh, I mean, I'm making talking about, you know, holding guys severed limbs and shit like that for $10, $11 an hour. It's, it's, it's rough, man. That's At that point, rough. I was like, criminals I, what it is. Yeah, criminal. it is, man. It's criminally yeah. underpaid. I felt it was just like, fuck man, I can go do tech support. It was, it was like one of those moments that I was like, shit, man, I've been working at this. I've been going to school for this. I kind of committed to this. And now I'm like, I'm going to bail on it because the money's not there. and It's not for me. You know, mentally, it's just not for me. I was having, I'm not gonna lie. I had some issues, man. You see some crazy shit. You have some uh, nightmares about things, and then I'm waking up in the in a cold sweat, going, "Oh shit! I saw all that stuff for I only made enough to get a fucking Whataburger meal today." You know? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, hey, man, that's that's. Yeah, even if you're not like squeamish or have a sensitive kind of uh, predilection to that kind of stuff, but like you're seeing it up close. You're not a stylized version that we see on TV or even with the protection of the screen. Even if you see something real and fucked up on the screen, there's the safety of the screen. No, you're you're there. Right. The guy's looking at – he's it's passing out. Yeah, he's it's, he's it's done. He's dead or whatever fucked up shit that you see. You have to carry some of that with you. And for 10, 12 bucks an hour, like hell no. <laughs> yeah. It's a little easier to make that trade off when it's like, hey man, you're making 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, fair enough. I got a decent paying job, but fair enough. I can I can live with that, you know, uh, and uh, and live with I guess some of the trauma that you take away with the job. But I mean, at some point, you know, it's just kind of like, hey man, like I'm again when you start looking at the job market here in San Antonio and you go, fuck man, I can make more at a call center at every call center here in San Antonio. It's just a no brainer at that point. So I, I hopped out of the medical field, man, and I, I worked at a bunch of call centers, but soon realized, like, ah, man, this shit isn't fulfilling to me. You know, I'm not I'm not just trying to get by and just live in some shitty apartment and like work to live. You know, you know, I, it wasn't necessarily like a, a, what I wanted to do. So, like, I kind of kept circling back to this idea of pro wrestling, man. Um, I don't know why it just was something that kind of stuck in the back of my head, because, I mean, it's one of those things, man. It was always been in my family. All of my friends grew out of it at a certain point, but I was the one dude that just stayed with it, loved it. Like I was obsessed with it, you know, when you say, um, when you say and it, it was one of those things, when you say it was in your family, you mean you guys go to shows together or, or, or what does that mean? Like it, that, that you guys were into it, it was deep. It was deep, AJ. Um, like, let me tell you, man, my, my grandfather, I never had the opportunity to meet him because unfortunately he passed before I was born. But uh, from all the stories and things like that I've heard from him uh, about him, I should say, he would travel and go to like the Sportatorium in Dallas and check out the Von Erics. He would check out Southwest here in San Antonio. He'd go to all the old classic like 80s wrestling shows, 90s wrestling shows. And 
he would, or I'm sorry, seven, late seventies, early eighties, nine or that era of, uh, of these shows, man. And my grandfather was, uh, was actually hearing impaired. He was deaf. Um, and, uh, it was, it was a unique thing for him, I think, because he was able to go to, I guess, like a public outing and was not necessarily any different than anybody else. Um, the reactions and the, the, that he would have from wrestling, uh, was no different than the person sitting next to him that could hear hundred percent clearly, you know? Um, and I think pro wrestling kind of lends itself to the deaf community in a very different way. Um, than any other medium out there, you know? I mean, you know, it's a lot different for my grandfather to be able to go to, to a movie um, and check out a theater and not really understand what the hell's going on. But, I mean, you know, if he goes to a live wrestling show and, you know, he's able to pick it up, I'm like, oh, man, I don't need to hear what's happening. I can see and I can I can feel the energy, the electricity, the the movement in a crowd. And it's just something that I think started it, – it, it's got to be in my genes, man. Because, I mean, you know, my grandfather had that happening and it, he would take my, my father. It was a way for them, I think, to kind of bond over over wrestling. You know, they'd watch Old Southwest. They'd go, they'd go check it out here in San Antonio. And it was one of those things that I think, like, you know, my father and maybe my grandfather didn't have a, a whole lot of co- in common. I know that they, were, they both like to fish a lot. Um, but, again, that's one of those things you don't necessarily need audio to be able to enjoy obviously you know less is more with that <laughs> yeah quiet fishing, quiet you know? yeah fishing is about quiet really <laughs> yeah. yeah it's me and, yeah. Yeah, me and my dad could could hear 100 percent, but we didn't say shit to each other when we were fishing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah so it was one of those things that i think you know wrestling kind of gave them a unique thing to be able to bond over um and then honestly man like it was just something that me and my dad bonded over you know was, i think it was uh I, I can remember honestly i know one of the very first memories i have is watching wrestling um, like that, just that in general. And it's very vague and like fuzzy in my head, but I can remember being like two or three years old, man. And under, and watching wrestling with my dad, you know, um, like I can, it's, 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 it's always been around me. I think, uh, yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. Uh, and that, that recent one there with the, the memory of wrestling, again, it's just imprinted in your life because you're like, I have this fuzzy memory. It's like one of the first things I remember it's, is, is a wrestling moment. And, I have that, like, I've actually written about it and, and want to continue this this piece about, I was born in 83, so in 86 is when Hogan body slams Andre. Right. I remember that, or I've convinced myself I remember that. <laughs> and again, it goes back to what uh, the the idea of your grandfather uh, being deaf, and I don't remember, the, I remember the, the visual, right? I remember the visual of, yeah. of, of Hogan picking slam, up Andre, yeah. and because it, it's a... You see the whole story in one move in that it's it's the David versus Goliath kind of thing, right? And so your grandfather is able to attend wrestling events, which are, again, built in this very visually intuitive thing in that people that maybe are blind, well, music lends itself to people that are blind because sure. they can hear, right? And so in this inverse kind of way or opposite kind of way, you can see this with the exception of like promos and stuff, but even then... If you see the guy snarl on his face when he's yelling into the microphone, you're like, maybe that's a bad guy, right? Yeah, maybe this guy's pissed off about something. Right, you know? right. And like, and that, that's something that. That, that, that visual is so important to me. And I, I know we're kind of jumping ahead, but even as like a promoter and how we do things, you know, because like it's important to me with knowing that that my grandfather was kind of not necessarily, I guess you could say, able to kind of experience all the pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. I like to enhance the visuals. 
it's important to me that people know exactly what this character is or who this person is and what their motivation is the second that they come through that curtain, you know, because I want anybody, regardless of, you know, their hearing or whatnot or, or their age or anything, any, any restrictions, I guess you could say, um, to enjoying a full experience of what pro wrestling could be. I want everyone to be able to have that same experience. And, and the easiest way to convey that is that moment that you walk through that curtain who you are, what you're wearing, what's on, what your expression is. And, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it. And it's honestly at that, I I was just so, like I said, at a young age, man, I can remember being like, my memory is I'm three years old and I can somehow remember like seeing Yokozuna. And I just remembered being like, that's a big fucking guy. Like as a little kid, as a two or three year old, I can like, I genuinely can remember it because I can, in my head, I can picture like the apartment that my parents lived in and, they've helped me piece the fucking timeline together, you know? Um, so it's one of those things. I was born in 91. So we're talking like early 93, 94-ish around that area. And it's one of those like uh, things, man. It's just, like you said, it's in, imprinted on me. And when I had like this kind of existential crisis where I'm going, okay, shit, man, what am I going to do with my life? That imprint is just there, man. I feel it and it keeps coming back to it. And it's just like, fuck, man, I, I want to I wanna do something with it. I didn't know if I was going to be able to wrestle because I was just some big fat guy that used to play football, you know, six, four, 300 pounds, like some big fat dude that just kind of like let himself go after playing high school ball. It's just like going to school and eating like, you know, McDonald's every day and shit like that, you know, it's just not, not good. Cause I didn't have really any goals just going to school, you know? Um, and so I guess I want to hear about, again, that, that, that leap from, okay. I do have this athletic background from like football, like Texas football and you say, okay, well, I'm a big boy and not a bad thing at a certain regard, right? In a certain regard, like in in terms of the pro wrestling world. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's that they, they kind of look for that size, but unlucky for me, man, it wasn't a lot of, wasn't a lot of muscle. It was just a lot of, uh, you know, barbecue and fucking a lot of Mexican food, you know, a lot of enchiladas, (laughs) a lot of like a lot of that, man. That's, uh, that's where my, my strength really came from, which is kind of fat guy strength. Um, you know, had that extra spare tire and whatnot. So, man, I, I jumped into, you know, I decide, you know, hey, I'm going to look into pro wrestling schools, right? I, I'm, I'm not looking to do this EMT shit any longer, looking at pro wrestling schools. And that, again, very similar situation where I'm like, okay, I'm looking outwards, man. I'm looking looking at the Dudley Boys School in Florida. I'm looking at Ricky Morton in Tennessee. I'm looking at Booker T in Houston. Then all of a sudden, man, I start seeing like on online that, Funaki Dojo is opening here in San Antonio. And I'm like, what are the odds that a a credible trainer is starting a fucking wrestling school in my hometown? Like the month that I'm having this fucking existential crisis, I'm like, what's going on with my life? So, man, I'm not a very spiritual person or anything like that, man, but I had to kind of take it as like, this is a sign, you know, it's gotta be a sign. I I, I, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it's gotta be a sign, man. So I I jumped head first, man actually ended up being the uh, the second student at the dojo. And for a while, it was just me and great Scott, who's known as Scotty Santiago, is like as the two trainees there, man. And we do we lived, we breathed, and we sleep, uh, slept pro wrestling, man. That's all we did, bro. That was that was it, man. It was it, it consumed us, bro. We would find shitty jobs online that fit around our schedule just to make ends meet so we could train two, sometimes three times a day with Funaki. Um, at, at our training center, it was, it was all encompassing, man. It was all we did. And, um, you know, I was, I was, man, 
those days are, I look back on them fondly. I mean, you know, that's, I think everybody does when they first break into wrestling, but you know, I never worked harder for anything in my life than when I was working uh, at Funaki Dojo. And so the, the dojo. And so I, I know Funaki's work and his um, credibility in terms of uh, uh, training. Again, just heard it forever, especially in Texas there. But maybe you tell us, you tell the audience, like, Funaki has a trainer and early training stuff. Right. Uh, and, and so tell me a bit about the dojo. Dude, let me tell you, man. I walked into the dojo and I was 6'4", a little over, I think, 310 in that area, like 310 pounds, man. Like I said, big guy, man. Um, had no clue what I was getting myself into. The training with Funaki was so intense that in the course of about a year and a half, man, I dropped down to around – 220, 230, I think was the lowest that we had gotten at, man. Um, looking at over 100 pounds that I, I was dropping at some points because um, that weight would fluctuate so much just based off of, honestly, like the weather, you know, um, <laughs> the seasons, man. I mean, if we were summer and those, dude, we were training in essentially what was a garage, um, it was a gym, but it was uh, like a converted auto garage into a gym. And it was just like there was no ventilation, really. There was no air, obviously. We had some fans, like some like blowing man but they were like an old nothing. school gym like an old school yeah, gym. not old school not gym, not that you know like you walk into like the, the ufc branded gyms or something yes, right exactly, Where it's like yeah, new, new like equipment that. and nice mats <laughs> on the ground and no yeah, no it's a it's like a rusty like, garage door and it is hot or cold and and we're just working dude exactly nothing like the the current heavy metal training center we have right now man but it is <laughs> it is 100 percent different um and it was it was uh it was like training in a sauna man i would just i would take when these training sessions with Funaki, man, we would take, uh, I would say about an hour and a half to two hours to train each session. And I would show up and I would have the shirt I was wearing. And then I would have two other shirts, um, to change into during that two hour training session. Cause I would just sweat through them, man. And Funaki was like, Hey, it's, you're, it's kind of dangerous that you're that sweaty right now. So like change sure. your shirt. So, you know, you can keep wrestling. I'm like, okay. So it was, uh, it was, it was intense, man. Um, but honestly, they were the those were like the formative years for what we did. Um, I mean, I was training with uh, Scotty, who's a, a fucking freak athlete still to this day, man. I mean, the guy's dieting is on point. The dude takes so much care of, for his body and knows what he's putting into himself. And dude, he worked so hard in the gym. The dude was a personal trainer at Gold when we started training. The guy is a fucking uh, doing like parkour and free running and shit like that. Just so athletic and. Here I am, just this fat, bumbling guy that just, you know, wolfed down some Whataburger a few minutes ago. And was like, hey, let's wrestle. Uh, you know, and I was, I was outclassed, man. But it was one of those things that every day was just, you know, a little bit of progress, a little bit of progress, a little more, a little more. Until, you know, a, a year and a half goes by and all of a sudden, hey, I'm a halfway competent wrestler. And I'm ready to fucking have my real first match. Because, I mean, dude, between you and me, AJ, I, I made the executive decision for not to chastise me. But... Three months into training, man, I I decide uh, that uh, my my one of my home companies at the time they're they're at Fun 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 Fest, which was like a three day music festival in Austin, man. With all these badass bands and all these all these vendors. It's a big there. event. It's a big event. It's there, like man. ACL, man. I want to go. Event, you know? for sure, it's a big event. So they say, hey, man, if, if if you wrestle, we'll give you fucking three day tickets. We'll give you three tickets. Three uh, like you and one person. Uh, we'll uh, give you weekend tickets pass. For yeah, and I'm like, yo. Okay, fuck yeah, dude. I'm down. I'm down. I'm so down. I'm not ready to wrestle, but I'm so down. 
Um, so we go, man, and I, this match, AJ, is just – it's an eye-opening experience for me, man. I am not ready. I'm outclassed, man. I, I get exposed. They see how bad I am. I'm, I'm like a deer in the headlights in the ring, dude. Oh, and no. we're in front of a, a moderately large crowd because, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge festival. There's like 70,000 people there. There's a wrestling ring, so anytime anything – anything's happening in the wrestling ring people are going hey what the fuck's happening over there you know people start flocking and there's maybe when i go out there probably like three 200 300 people which that's, is a, a, a solid a, crowd a good yeah crowd for for a, for an indie for my, show that's a good for crowd. A show that i'm not supposed to be on you know that i'm not <laughs> ready to be on but i really am just trying to do it to get these fucking tickets because i wanted to see municipal waste and some other bands you know like <laughs> I, think, I think slayer was there or something too i think maybe i think there was like wu-tang clan too so it was a badass show i wanted to be there for sure um, and uh i i like i said it was total exposed man and then i i, I went back and i showed the footage to funaki and he just was like what the fuck is this like this is awful you do not wrestle until i say it's okay and i'm like okay fair enough all right i'm sorry I, i'm sorry i sucked um, so I didn't wrestle for another year, man. I just stayed in the gym wow. with him, trained all year long. And then literally the next fun, fun, fun fest, the next year, I made my real actual debut. Uh, and uh, dude, let me tell you, AJ, it's one of the coolest fucking moments that I've had. Because like I grew up as like a punk kid here in San Antonio going to like shitty punk venues here. And I've, I've always kind of been about like the DIY lifestyle, man. But my first match, one of the coolest fucking things is there's like a Thrasher magazine video out there that has like uh, clips of my match in it from Fun 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 Fest. My first match. And it's like, to me, at that point, it was like, I fucking made it, you know? Like, <laughs> that's huge. No, that's huge. Yeah. That's, that, that, those, that's one of the questions I was going to ask. And that's a great first one in terms of, hey, what triumphs have you had, you know? Because, again, the... Uh, the pro wrestling world, and when you were talking about the grind and stuff like that, uh, and training, and 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 you know you got to cobble together jobs to to make make sure you, you have time to train. It's like you know musicians go through a version of that. Yeah, um, it's very uh, similar. Uh, comedians go through a version of that. You know, filmmakers and actors, uh, writers. Uh, I speak from experience, right? Where, where, <laughs> right, where it's yeah. just like yeah, and then you get those like oh man, that was that was a dud. And then you get those ones. Oh no! Like I did hit that one. I did hit that one out of the park. Yeah, like, like that was great. Yeah, I, I did do that one. I I have crossed from like no longer like hey I'm training to be a wrestler or I'm trying to be a no I'm a writer now no I'm now, a wrestler yeah. now I yeah. am a musician because I got paid for a gig at a bar or whatever Fuck version yeah, it is whatever that it. first one that first one is that you've crossed that threshold now and now. You can fucking hold your head high and be like, whatever the fuck that no one can take it away from you at that point. You know, hey, man, I did that. I There's no graduation ceremony. You don't get a fucking cap and gown. You're a musician and you finish, you know, there's nothing like that. Oh, it's man. just kind of like there's that threshold you cross over and then it's like, boom, now you're now you're in the shit. You're you're in now. And and no matter what, you can't get out. <laughs> that's a you got that's a taste. A, what I'm doing. Yeah, that's a, you yeah. get a little taste and then and then you're hooked, man. And, then from there, man, uh, when I, when I made that that first match at Fun 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 Fest, bro, I, I hit the ground running, man. Um, I kept my schedule as full as I possibly could, man. I would hit every show in the area that I possibly could get on. I would do, dude. I would go out to Dallas and Houston and just do like, there's there's this in Dallas. There's this one particular area, man, that has 
three shitty little flea markets all in like a three mile radius. And what we would do is just to get the experience, man, we would set it up to where we'd have three shows in like the course of like two hours um, where we'd have one show at the one flea market, keep your gear on, hop into the car, drive to the next one, do the same shit, go to the next one, do the same shit. You just had three matches in one day and you got paid the equivalent of one match. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it, you get the experience and you, you, you try to get as many reps in as you can. So you can become as, as useful as you can to, to better promotions and climb up that ladder. But man, for me, I, I could only do that shit for so long um, because I, I had to be real with myself. And I think that was honestly multiple times, man, is I found that that's kind of where I differ. I feel from a lot of different people where I feel like I have a very solid sense of self-awareness in the sense that like, man, I, I, I would step into the ring and I would consistently be the least talented physically person in that match. Um, you know, it's, it's akin to someone like, you know, like you said, like maybe doing stand up and going out there and bombing five mm-hmm. times in a row. And, you know, maybe there's some comedians out there that would fucking pat themselves on the back and be like, Hey, I'm still a comedian to me though, man, I'd go out there and I'd bomb and I'd be like, fuck man. Like, why do I, why am I doing this? This sucks. I'm bringing down the quality of everything, you know? Right. I, and then honestly, man, when we, we could talk about it in a bit, but when I started running heavy metal, I was still actively kind of wrestling but when i would start putting together shows for heavy metal i would intentionally leave dylan dunbar off the card because goddamn that guy couldn't wrestle so like i stopped fucking <laughs> myself and then it became one of those things man where i had to step back and go, okay if i won't book me how the fuck can i expect anybody else to book me so it's at that point man that i just said you know what man this shit ain't for me the in-ring stuff ain't for me i'm gonna step back mm-hmm. but i know that I have so much other uh, skills to offer pro wrestling, so many other talents to offer pro wrestling. It doesn't have to be in the ring. That's a, I think that's, again, that self-awareness. I think that, and, and I think that's why you're a great promoter, right? Um, I think that I, I want to be part of this bigger thing, pro wrestling, right? AJ is a writer. I want to be part of this bigger thing, the writing world and so on. Like, I'm a competent writer, but like, I'm a really good writing teacher. I'm a really fucking good editor, yeah. right? And so I leaned into that at a certain point instead of being like, well, this this thing has to be my identity yeah. in terms of this bigger world of the writing landscape. Yeah. And, and, and the pro wrestling world, I think, is served well in, in that way, especially with promoters because they are the – Again, the the mind behind the production that takes all these other people and, 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 and different little um, moving parts. In your wrestling, though, who was the character, right? Oh, and so oh, because man. there's part of it that's like, you, you know, you the thing with pro wrestling again, like stand up comedy and a few other things that you need the audience to do that real practice, right? You can train yeah. in the Funaki Dojo all yeah. you want until you get in front of that crowd. Is that going to work? Do I have yeah. the chops and so on? Who was the character? And what was kind of maybe your style or what did you kind of like lean into in terms of like, well, this is what I can do in the ring and, and this is what I'm going to accentuate. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, with wrestling, you always hear like when guys come up with characters or who they are in the ring, it's just them turned up to 11. Sure. Um, it's just really loud, you know. Um, with me, honestly, it, it, it's kind of similar. 
um, I was, I'm always kind of the, the, almost like a class clown, kind of obnoxious, annoying, you know, uh, and that those are my personality traits, you know, and I know that, you know, it can kind of be endearing to some people, you know, like luckily like my wife, like, like I hope to think, you know, she, if she finds it endearing, but, uh, it's just one of those things, man. You know, when I, I got into wrestling, it was very easy for me to just be a fucking goof. You know, okay. there wasn't necessarily always like a character. It was just kind of like, I'm just obnoxious. Me and my tag partners at the time, like, cause that was the thing, AJ, like I was never really solid enough to carry myself as a singles wrestler. I had to have somebody help burden. I, I somebody had to help carry that weight with me. I had to have a tag partner, I had to have that, that number two with me, or I was the number two, you know, sure. um, and often I was just the, the, I guess you could say like the charisma, the jokester, you know, the guy that made the crowd laugh, the guy that could, you know, didn't take himself too seriously, you know, right. um, that's where I kind of excelled. And I, my, for a while, and my, my whole thing, my whole philosophy was kind of built around, you know, I, if I make, if I can do something in the ring that makes myself laugh, I feel 95% of the time it's going to make somebody else laugh. Or if I could do something that's going to, you know, entice, piss somebody off and get them mad, uh, I, I know that, you know, I, I have that ability because I've made 95% of the people I've interacted with pissed off or something like that, you know? So okay. it's just me turned up to 11. There was never really like a, a clear defined character. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Dylan is, is who I am. Dylan Dunbar is me, man. That's, there's, that's who I am. You know, um, it's just, uh, just a little, little different. And I'd wear, I'd wear some silly tights. And that's really the only difference, man. I don't wear tights as, as in my normal life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that one of those things I wanted to get at, again, well, what was your thing? And that you're like, well, I was a tag wrestler. That was where yeah. I thought it worked best, right? And I think, again, as a promoter, you bring that eye at what's best for the show. Like what's best right. for this match, right? Right. And so you got to – you gotta. there's that give and take and in a in a in a world like pro wrestling where i would imagine and i've seen a tiny bit that some people may not want to give a give and take yeah. right because it is hey how do i get myself over how do i put the spotlight on me kind of thing but at the yeah. same time we we also have to put on a show that's a collective yeah. effort right and so how do we find that balance what about the move from wrestling to heavy metal wrestling right as the promoter and the mastermind and like, I want, I have a vision for this bigger thing. I'm going to go for that. Dude. So honestly, what ends up happening is man, I, I, I'm really good friends with a lot of really good fucking wrestlers. Um, but there were a lot of guys that just weren't getting their fair shake of things. Maybe it was because you didn't, instead of having, you know, a fucking six pack, you just had a flat stomach and you look good. They're like, well, you, you need abs. Well, what the fuck, man? Like, does abs make you a better wrestler? It makes you look better, sure, but it doesn't make you physically a better wrestler. It doesn't make you better. Um, it, it, it helps, sure, no doubt, but it doesn't make you mentally a better wrestler. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was one of those things, man. I saw a lot of my guys that I was really close with that put in so much work, you know, guys like Scotty, um, that you see the process, you see the evolution, you see how much they fucking put into it. Like, man, I got so much respect for him, and he's told the story so many times. Like, we got this guy, Scotty, like, he fucking lived down in Mexico, didn't have a place to live, just went down to Mexico and trained for three months, you know? Mike just just fucking winged it just because he wanted to learn. Yeah, Yeah, just because he wanted to learn that style, you know? Didn't have a place to live, just was, dude, 
imagine being homeless in Mexico, man, as an American fucking, as a white guy in Mexico, that's a bad idea, you know? Like, <laughs> that's not a good fucking plan, you know? Yeah, going, yeah, like, nobody should do thing. that. Nobody yeah, should do no, that. And then this guy going, not. he'll be sold into white slavery or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, hey, man, it's, it's dangerous. It's not smart. You barely speak Spanish. It's, but hey, man, <laughs> he, he knew that's what he wanted to do and he fucking did it. So, like, when he comes back from Mexico, like, these promotions are leaving him on rent. And I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like, how? Like, did you not just see what this guy just sacrificed? Like, how are you guys not jumping on this guy's dick right now? Like, right, he sure. should be your example for everybody, you know? Like, look how bad he wants it, you know? So it's one of those things, man. I, I, and I've always said it, dude. Heavy metal wrestling was started, like, in a bad way, in a, like, very bitter, vengeful, like, I'm going to fucking show all of you kind of way. Um, but it blossomed into something totally different, man. Um, the first time we had uh, that show, and it was a bunch of guys that aren't normally utilized on shows, man. I think we kind of set the precedent of like, look, man, we're not gonna, we're not, we're the new guard. We're not gonna go to these old, old dudes that have been, you know, wrestling for 10, 15 years, and they come in and they just collect the paycheck and they they head home and it's same old, same old. You know, it's it's oftentimes back then when heavy metal started, dude, there's eight companies and the only difference between all the companies was the fucking initials of the companies the sure. same roster same titles same tag team same guys it was it was the same shit man so but, it, we just wanted to do something a little different man um and, and that's kind of where it was rooted you know it was like hey we're gonna give the spotlight to these guys that are hungry that are chomping at the bit that are young that have chips on their shoulders and to this day man that is everything we look for for like wrestlers on our team, man, just bro, you got a chip on your shoulder. You got something to prove you got, you know, you want to show that, you know, you're not going to be overlooked anymore, bro. Hit heavy metal wrestling up. That's what the fuck we're about. You know, like that's, that's, I, we live and breathe that shit, man. Cause that's how it started. It started with me having a chip on my shoulder and it's kind of progressed from there. Um, and luckily, man, you know, we've gotten to the point where like, you know, we've succeeded really a good chunk in what we've done. So like the chip on my shoulder has gotten significantly smaller, but I feel like now the wrestlers, uh, they have that, they have that intensity and that aggressiveness that comes with being overlooked and being, you know, passed over for the veteran that, you know, has, has a little more name value or whatever the fuck. Right. Um, but isn't working as hard, you know? So I think when, when we kind of present that attitude here in the, in the Texas wrestling scene, a lot of wrestlers kind of pick up on it and they're like, that's where I want to go. I want to fucking wrestle there, you know? Yeah, I think that's good in that you target those young and hungry guys and, 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 and women that want to get in there and, and, and do have something to prove. And maybe, right. you know, the old-fashioned kind of way of, of thinking about pro wrestling isn't working. I mean, we're seeing that in the, you know, in the, 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 at the national and international level and, and things like that. Wrestling viewership is at an all-time low, all-time things low, like yeah, this. Man. Attendance, of course, because of COVID. We'll get to that in a moment. But that idea that, hey, these folks need a, sh- need a shot, and you said we're, we're kind of changing the guard. We're the new guard here. I've always appreciated that heavy metal wrestling presents itself, and you specifically as the guy that runs it, as a very forward thinking, let's take wrestling into the future in a very progressive way. You're not shy about who you are on the internet and whatnot and what you stand for. And I love that. You know, I, I thought, you know, I think it's great when, when you, uh, as the promoter, will say, hey, well, 
we don't book these people because they they sexually harass female talent. Right. I'm not going to book these people because they're fucking racist. I'm not going right. to book these people because of blank. Guess what? There's enough fucking talent everywhere where we don't need those motherfuckers, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And man. I that's, and I was like, and I saw that. you doing your thing, Dylan. And I saw you doing your thing as a promoter, and I was like, I know, like most DIY projects, a wrestling promotion in specific. A lot of these times, these are losing endeavors. Is Dylan going to make it? You've been sticking around, man. It's been years now. It's been years <laughs> yeah. now, and years, and so yeah. that 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 just there's the there's the proof that like that vision can exist in a place yeah. that's just weirdly antiquated, like wrestling. I fucking love wrestling, Dylan, like you do. Yeah, man, I do. Exactly like you said, dude. That's the perfect way of putting it. It's so antiquated. It's so stuck in these old like tropes and these old like uh, I guess I, if you want to call them traditions. Sure, by all means, but I mean, it's so stuck and rooted in this fucking mentality. Because, man, look, wrestling peaked as popularity did in in the late early. Uh, I'm sorry, the late '80s, and then again in the late '90s. You know, it, it peaked, and now everyone wants to do things as they were when they peaked, um, and thinking that you can replicate that shit. You know, like, sure. hey, this is the way it was done in fucking '87 when they had a pop. So we're gonna try to fucking replicate here in 2020. It's like, dude, that is. So, dude, that is what 30, 40 years ago at this point, you know? Like, come on, man. That's you, you have to fucking. It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And one of the things to me, AJ, that's always been so important, man, is look, man, it pains me that I found out that our business uh, is filled with a lot of scumbags, man. Sure. But the traditions of old basically lend the ability to these scumbags to hide behind that black curtain, man. You know, it's always kind of been like, we'll handle it in the locker room. You, you you don't do that publicly. You don't need to say, you know, that X and X is a fucking racist or they're, you know, a sexually a sexual abuser or something like that. Handle it in the locker room. My take on that shit is like. That's just yo, protecting man, you, it. That's just you guys have had well, protecting it for sure. But like, look, man, you guys have had 30 years to handle it in the locker room. And you yes. fucking have it. You clearly can so to me, it's important that yo we're transparent with this shit, man. I, it's that's my that's what we preach at Heavy Metal, dude. Like I'm transparent with every talent. Bro, I'll let talent look at our books. You want to see how much money we make? You want fuck that? Let me rephrase that. You want to see how much money we lose? Like <laughs> you want to see? You want to see that, man? You want to see? You want to see like what our plans are and all that shit, man? I, I'm I'm transparent with every piece of talent that walks through, man. Like hey, look, this is what I can afford. This is what it's going to happen. This is what, you know, like I'm, there's no secrets here with me, man. That's the way it functions with everybody from the guy that walks in on his first day of training to the dude that's been wrestling for 20 years. You both get the same Dylan Dunbar, you know, I'm not yeah. going to switch up. You're not, I'm not, heavy metal's not going to treat you different. Dylan Dunbar's not going to treat you different. I'm transparent about how I feel. And look, man, I think the way things are is like you said, man, there's so much fucking talent in our locker rooms across the, the United States, dude, not even just centralizing Texas. Cause you know, you know me, man, I've got a, I've got a big hard on for Texas. Right. Uh, <laughs> but like looking at like the entire like United States, man, like it's, there's so much talent out there. And with all that talent, there's no need to work with shitty people anymore, man. And I'm not, we're, there's an abstract kind of, I guess, morality that comes with it. I'm not saying that I'm the fucking morality police on the stuff, man. But I mean, you know, if someone's a racist, it's very easy to say, okay, Hey man, you, you use racial slurs like you can't have you around, man. You know, like you use them very casually. It's it's not that's not something that we can have. Yeah, it's not something we want in our locker room. You know, like yeah. you you make women feel uncomfortable when you're around them because you're a sexual abuser and you have a history of that. Like, get the fuck out of here, like, dude. I 
adamantly like I, I it, it's it's very important to me that we cultivate that type of environment because it's only going to be better for wrestling as a whole you know I, that that's the way i look at that shit man i agree dude i think and and that's i think the best approach and and then you know over time hopefully you know those the the, the shitty people kind of go away uh the the writing world's the same way a whole bunch of yep. shitty people get their get their books out before uh people that are you know better people and actually sometimes you know oftentimes usually better writers right yep. but they're like grandfathered in or whatever but and so we don't care yep. if you're racist we don't care if you're like anti-immigrant we don't care if you're uh uh you know a, right. a, again a sexual abuser we don't care and 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 they get enabled by the people around them because they don't say stuff and and now with with you know social media and the way that people can communicate like it's easier to kind of just put you know your money where your values are and be like well we don't support that person anymore oh well this person uh we found out that they're kind of a scumbag so we don't we don't support them anymore and just like that the landscape and the market changes right absolutely And and you're doing that in the wrestling world and again like you ain't hurting to fill up a card with guys that want to get no, heavy metal wrestling. I know that. I know that. I've observed it. I know. I've seen it. And that goes to it, show that you're doing the right work. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, man, I mean, I, I will throw out examples. You know, we had to, to cancel with uh, uh, our, our plans with uh, Tessa Blanchard last I remember. Year. I remember. It was a yeah, big thing. It was one of those things that, yeah, it was. we were the first company, from what I understand, that was like the, that, that kind of pulled the plug on it. Uh, and it was important to me, man, that we were able to – set that precedent because I felt like, you know, I got a lot of blowback from when people said that, you know, I, I, remember. Was, I was trying to be like the morality police again. It's like, Hey man, look, it's not that I, I, I think I'm the judge of what's right and wrong, but I am the judge of what is right and wrong in my locker room and in our promotion, you know? And I want to send that message that like, man, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your name value or anything like that. Like if you, if it's not something that stands with the, the morals of heavy metal wrestling, we're not going to abide by it, man. Even if it's going to cost me money, even if it's going to lose me, you know, so much, uh, if it's going to lose me my position in wrestling, I, at least I have my integrity. Um, and I feel like that's something that is in, insanely missing from heavy or from wrestling in general. It's just, just integrity. And I feel like heavy metal wrestling has kind of tried to implement that the best that we can. Um, because you know, it, in all honesty, it sucks, man. The, the, I think it's almost every entertainment, like, industry that you kind of look into it's it's mainly dominated by a lot of people that aren't the best sure. of people outside of their talents you know um and it, it sucks man and i for one like fear now it's very weird and i've had fans that have expressed this this kind of fear to me it's like hey man i don't want my hard-earned money now going i'm apprehensive to buy this wrestler's t-shirt because what if hap- what what if in five years this person's a piece of shit, you know, and it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a concern. I feel of fans now and, and of wrestlers and promoters alike, man, it's just, it's, it's, it's different. And I feel like it's important that we remain transparent and not try to do things behind the curtain because it's only going to end up shooting ourselves in the foot. You lose these fans and, and then uh, you, more importantly, you lose the integrity of the industry as a whole. Yeah. I think that, you know, because because you work with people working so closely together and all that stuff is, you know, becomes a risk and a liability. And you're like, well, we don't even want to take the chance. Like, and if other people want to take that risk and, and book these fucking, you know, uh, shitty people, then there's plenty of people that, 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 again, have that antiquated way of thinking. Yeah, you might still get booked. But, but again, I think time will tell on this, and I think things will change. 
Um, it's just one of those things, man, like with wrestling, it's like, hey, man, if I can't trust you to be a good person, how the fuck can I trust you not to break someone's neck? Right, right. And those things things do happen, right? Yeah, And and people have certain vendettas or whatever and and take liberties there in the ring in front of a crowd, and that's just bad shit for heavy metal wrestling at the end of the day, right? Um, But I admired that. I admired, and I knew, and I saw that you took a a little bit of heat for it, and, but I, I thought that, you know, just having that that public statement and that that this is you know the the face of heavy metal pro wrestling is is not a face that you know can mess with this kind of stuff, and and yeah, and I think uh, and I think you made the right call on it. And one of those things I I, I truly admired. I really admired. Well, I, I, yeah, I appreciate that, man. Because like I said, I, it was it was a difficult decision to make, man. But in all honesty. It wasn't a difficult decision. No, yeah, you're not going to lose just, any sleep over that. Come on. Yeah, it's not not something you lose sleep over, but you know when you look at, I guess if you really want to be like, uh, if you want to get into that kind of side of things, it's just like you look at the financial blowbacks and the aspects of things. Like, fuck, you lose some money, but I mean, at the, again, at the end of the day, bro, my integrity is intact. I feel like you know my my peers in the locker room and whatnot kind of support the idea behind it, you know, and it, it's it's one of those things, man. It's just you want to set the precedent, you know, so. You know, if it's not if, if a famous wrestler that comes from a fucking legendary family isn't going to be able to get away with it, fucking Joe Schmo from down the street is not going to be able to get away with it. Um, and so we kind of just send that message: like, hey, this is what we tolerate. This is what we don't, man. That's that's honestly kind of what we we've been rooted in, um, even since before. You know, these these instances that we've had. Um, that's something that's been extremely important to us, man. It's, it's not necessarily fighting like social justice and stuff like that, man. It's just about like, dude. I, I, I yeah. used to love Hulk Hogan, man. I, that, that was my thing, man. I was, I grew up as a Hulk Hogan fan with Hollywood Hogan, man. That was the shit. Uh, even watching him return and like, so SmackDown in like 2003, that was fucking awesome to me. Like I loved watching Hulk Hogan. I was heartbroken that I found out that Hulk Hogan was a big fucking racist. Right. And I was only heartbroken as a fan, as a human being, I was fucking repulsive. Yeah. I can't believe I fucking, you know, I followed this person. I, I supported this person. I'm, this fucking this guy's a piece of shit racist, you know? Right. I do not want the fans to have to go through that in 30 years, 20 years. You know what I mean? The, sure. of the wrestlers today, like, hey, these guys on top, like, guess what? They're actually fucking scumbags. Don't meet your heroes. They're all pieces of shit. Right. You know, like, I right. <laughs> you don't want that type of thing to continue on with wrestling because I'm not saying it was a traumatic experience for me by any means, but I mean, but hey, let man, down. You know, yeah, you're exactly. You're let down by it. It's like, fuck, man. I have all your action figures. I have your shirt. I've watched every one of your match. I love Hulk Hogan, and uh, you, you you just fucking ruined it, buddy. Thanks a lot. Now I can't enjoy it anymore um, because every time I do it, I have these creeping thoughts. I'm like, yeah, this guy's a piece of shit. You know, just remember. Um, so yeah, it's just that. That's a really good example of like you know moving forward of what I want future fans to be able to avoid. You know. I want a fan to be able to be like, yo, I was a fan of fucking this wrestler. And guess what? He was a solid person. He never fucking was a piece of shit abuser or a fucking racist or anything like that. You know, it's I think that kind of sets uh, that that if we if we kind of stop it now, we don't have to deal with it in the future. I I agree, man. I th- and I think that's. Uh, yeah, because we get again, we get let down all all, all the time with our or these people we look up to and entertainers and stuff. It, it it just goes on and on and on. You know, even something fucking Gina Carano's over here anti-masker and and saying things. You know, co- comparing to you know the I'm doing air quotes oppression of you know conservative people and comparing them to Jews in the Holocaust. And I'm like, what are you doing, lady? Yeah. And I'm like, like, and again, me thinking as a fight fan, like pioneer of a women's MMA and all these kinds of things. And but I'm like. 
But now we have dozens and dozens of chicks that would also wipe the floor with her and aren't yep. shitty and aren't shitty. Yeah, like exactly. we've evolved. So, like we don't need exactly. you. We don't need you. And I, I agree a hundred percent, man. And that's, that's the, I think now a lot of people kind of have woken up to that and realized like, wait a second, man, like we don't need a Hulk Hogan. We don't need a fucking Gina Crumb. We're like, we, why, why are we, why are we acting like these people are, you know, the fucking end all be all like, fuck them, man. They're, they can be replaced. You know, they aren't irreplaceable. Um, they can be replaced with people that have consciousness. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's, sure. that's, that's as the short and long of it, man. If you have a fucking conscience and you live with yourself after that, I, I couldn't, you know? And so clearly, you know, you, that plays into, again, the, the Tessa Blanchard thing plays into account, right. uh, the, the, who do you book and why and things maybe outside of these other, maybe more intense kind of, you know, issues we're grappling with as a society day in and day out. What about the other stuff? How do you book talent? And what about, dude, who do you bring on board and, and how do you make those calls as, as the guy? Honestly, man, I, we look right now for heavy metal. Like we said earlier, man, just guys with fucking chips on their shoulders, man. Like guys that just that are trying to prove something, not only to themselves, but like to the wrestling world, man. Cause I usually end up seeing like, guys that show out and just give everything they have and leave it all in the ring because they have something to prove, you know? Um, we look for that, man. I mean, like just last night we did this show that we called like breakout week and it was legitimately like a, a bunch of wrestlers that we've never utilized before against a bunch of our like normal guys. And it was just kind of like, let's see, can the fucking cream rise to the top? Can't does one of these guys that we've never booked before. Can they show us something? Can, like, can we feel your fucking like your, love for this game and the passion for what we do. And if I can, and we can feel this shit, man, doesn't matter how you perform in the ring. I need to be able to feel your love for it when you're in there. If you're in there and you're just kind of a fucking robot going by the motions, painting by numbers, you know, just trying to do whatever the fuck just to get, you know, a white envelope at the end of the night. I don't want you, man. But if you're here and you're showing up because you're like, dude, I'm fucking so sick of being overlooked. I haven't gotten opportunities. I busted my ass. This is what I want. I love this shit. And you walk through the curtain and the crowd can feel it. They can feel that authenticity. They can feel you being genuine. And I can feel you being genuine and authentic, bro. I will fucking do everything in my power to try to make you as successful as possible. You know, um, and I'm not some fucking star maker or anything like that by any means, man. But I am someone that'll fucking give you my platform, give you a ball and let you run with it until you drop it. Dude, I love that you can observe somebody and be like, are they just mechanically good and technically good or do they have that heart also? Do they love it? Yeah. And, they have some and, heart. You got some passion behind it. And that's really, you know, similar to like how, like when I look work with young writers or something, you know, a friend of mine or an acquaintance, we, we, you know, a look at this piece of writing uh, or as an editor is probably the best way as an editor. You know, oh, I'm going to select things to get published. And I would like to take, There'd be things I'd get that didn't have anything wrong with it. I was like, mechanically, this is a – I can't edit this if I wanted to. Every word's in the right – every comma's in the right place. So I don't feel anything. I would take the risk on the person that I needed to work with on the mechanics a little bit, back and forth over email, but there was heart in that piece. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I, I would take that risk, and, 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 and that's a different type of editor, and that's a different type of promoter that you are. Because some guys want guys that are very mechanically sound and just say – and this – versus that guy that hey we can work on it with the mechanics in the ring you could just teach that you can train that shit forever and yeah but the heart how do you teach that you cannot teach that right and so that's exactly and again me it. i'm yeah, not man. a mastermind either and, and but 
I have taken numerous people to the next level. That's it. Just let me just get you to the next level. I ain't shooting you to the stratosphere. I ain't fucking Superman like that. But I can take you to the next level. And you as a promoter having that eye for this young talent that, hey, we can, you know, just more practice and practice and practice, which is you book them. That's how you get them to practice. And and like, but you have that heart, you have that passion that like, I don't have to teach that. I don't have to light that fire under your ass. The the rest will work on it. That exactly, dude. That's it, AJ. That's it in a nutshell, man. If I if I can if I feel your fire, if I can feel some sense of determination, you really want this shit, and you're not gonna let anything stop you. Like I said, man, I'll I'll ride with you until the wheels fall off, you know. Um, but you know, it that that passion's got to be there first, you know. And luckily, man, like last night was a really good example, dude. Uh, we had some guys just they sh- blew us out of the fucking water. Never seen them before. Guys like their second, third matches that you can feel their love for the game through it. And, dude, I don't give a shit if you're rough around the edges. Like, we're an independent wrestling company. I don't have to worry about, like, ratings and shit like that, you know? Like, dude, I will give those opportunities to these people that are a little rougher around the edges and let them develop. Because what what I think is important, too, is, dude, you can see these fans, they love the story, the progression. I feel... Again, it's about be, it's about being able like these fans being able to sense you know authenticity and people being genuine. Like if you watch someone that starts at fucking square one or step one and they progress, you can you can follow with that. You know you can watch it on a weekly basis. Like hey man, this guy I saw him when he was trash or when he was just getting started and he wasn't very good, and now fucking here we are a year later, two years later. And, hey man, this guy's pretty fucking good now. You know. And, I think fans like that's that's a different experience, you know, on the independent level. And that's something I like to I don't want to say exploit, but I mean, I like to use that a lot. You know, I like to have those fans be able to get those attachments to these guys that are just breaking in. And then before you know it, it's just like, hey, man, remember him? He, yeah. Remember that guy that lost 50 fucking matches in a row? You know, like, yeah, he's pretty good now. You know, like he's really solid. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah. And seeing guys starting to like just barely start training then like being a year two three four deep into their career as long as i've been plugged into it now more than that even it's just awesome i'm like oh that guy like came through like oh he he got in shape again got his character is getting booked and 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 you refine that again they're moldable right again with the right, right with the right training and the right people promoting them and and giving them the shot they get to get molded and refined and 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 polished, right? Uh, and I, I I love that. I think that's great. Yeah, um, that's that's all heavy metal has really kind of been designed to do. Honestly, man, like from jump, you know, it's about trying to progress people, trying to make people better. Um, and uh, you know, like I said, it was rooted in that like we're going to show you kind of that uh, mentality, you know. Um, but it's kind of always stayed that way of being like, you know, hey, it doesn't matter if uh, you're not getting opportunities elsewhere; they'll be here. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually you're going to, you're going to pop, uh, and, uh, then the bigger companies will have to put, put you on, you know, they'll have to take notice at that point. Um, and that's, that's what we've been about, man. Just getting guys experience, progressing them and getting them up, getting them up to snuff, you know? Yeah, dude. I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's a, a great way to, to, to run a promotion. I think it's a, a great way to consistently do it well too, I think. And that attitude of, Hey, well, we want to show the naysayers. I think that's important. I think you're always going to have those in any kind of creative kind of endeavor right. uh, that there's some folks that aren't going to like it or are going to say, oh, well, 
Dylan starting a wrestling promotion, fucking whatever. AJ thinks he's a writer, whatever. Looking homeboy with a guitar at the bar. Yeah. What, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure that'll em. work out. Fuck yeah. em. Like, my thing's yeah. like, oh, cool. Like, I heard you, bitch. Like, I'm, I'm, now wait. Just fucking wait, right? Right. And then yeah. you get those little moments. You just moments, made me work right? harder. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, you just made, you just fuck, you, you, you just gave me motivation. You know what I mean? Like, that's the way I always look at that type of stuff, man. Yeah. A lot of people will get kind of turned off by that and everything, um, but they're always going to exist. So you, you just, you just use it as fuel and, uh, and be reasonable with it. I think that's a smart way to approach it. I'm curious, man, with wrestling being an audience oriented piece of art, how do you continue to do that when we can't be around each other? Pandemic Dude. hits about a year ago. Tell me. AJ is probably the most challenging year of our careers. All of us included, man. Um, let me just say, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back and blow and smoke up my own ass, but like right before the pandemic hit, heavy metal was really fucking hot. I mean, um, you know, we were just coming off of, uh, the no ring, no rule show in February of 2020, which was a fucking no ring death match with wow. Casanova at the time. And it was huge, highly regarded, man. It got a lot of love from like internet wrestling fans. I mean, between us, we made a shit ton of money off ticket sales. Like, uh, dude, it seemed like, all right, dude, we're finally. Yeah, slam yeah. it. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, okay, the next show we had, we were kind of piggybacking off of WrestleMania weekend and working with one of, like, the hottest indies out at the time. And uh, we were going to Tampa Bay and doing a show out there and kind of swinging dick for Texas. You know, we were calling it Texas Forever, featuring top Texas talent against some of the best indie guys out there and just being like, look, y'all motherfuckers have been sleeping on Texas. This is what we're doing. You know, this is what's happening down here. Um, just because you guys don't think we're as hot as something in New York or in the Midwest or in California, because we're all the way down here South, people forget about us. And it's like, yo, we're, we're fucking killing it down here too. So that was the plan before COVID hit. That, that obviously changes our fucking, our entire game. You know, we have to cancel the Tampa bookings and whatnot. And it, it becomes, that's, that's when it really starts for us. Um, in all honesty, man, we took the better part of 2020 off wisely, you know, obviously waiting to kind of see like how things play out. In all honesty, what ends up happening, man, is I just kind of fall ass end into a venue that I end up basically buying. Um, it was a, uh, or leasing, I should say, it, it's a spot inside of a shopping mall that is uh, in San Antonio that is basically pretty deserted. Uh, <laughs> the shop, I mean, wow. you'd have to imagine that the mall is doing pretty rough with traffic when they're like, fuck it, let's bring in the pro wrestling people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. let's, put it, let's put the wrestlers next to the Dillards, right? Like, Dude, or, we're next to Macy's, actually. Right? So. Yeah, Macy's, yeah, Dillards. The Macy's just, actually, back, the Macy's like, actually just went out of business. That's fucking even funnier. So. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but that's how, that's how kind of, uh, like, I guess you could say old this mall is. Uh, but fuck, man, it was one of those things that, like, the price was too good not to do. The space was really nice. Um, we wanted to kind of have a, not necessarily like a training facility, but an area where our local guys, um, could come in and train, uh, and wrestle, uh, and be able to get ring time and be able to learn. Cause AJ man, like I was never the best technically gifted wrestler, so I can't start a wrestling school. That's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want to train people, but what I do know, Makes I know sense. how to book shows. I know how to promote. I know how to produce. I know how to edit. I do all our video work. I do all our graphics. I do everything backstage, everything, but I do commentary, everything, <laughs> but wrestling. I can teach all that shit. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of 
have a have a, a gym that we can have these guys train at. And eventually what it became was a small studio. So what we've done um, basically starting in September of 2020 was we basically run weekly shows here with a tiny, tiny capacity audience. We have 10 fans maximum. Um, and it's the same reoccurring 10 fans that are basically going out, uh, making sure that they're getting tested regularly, um, making sure that, you know, we're obviously doing temperature screenings for each of these 10 fans. We've tried our best to kind of create our own bubble here. Oh, interesting. Um, it's, cool. It's, it's been pretty successful, honestly, in that sense. Um, we haven't really had, I mean, thank God, knock on wood and all that. We haven't necessarily had any issues with COVID um, other than like, I think one of our guys ended up getting COVID from uh, his place of work. Uh, we were able to do contact tracing and it was like, okay, cool. We shut everything down. We sanitized for like uh, like three weeks. We quarantined sure. forever. Sure. Uh, we got everybody back up. We, we canceled our tapings and then everyone had clean tests. Boom, we're back at it again. Um, but it's one of those things, man, that we, we've tried to obviously mitigate the risk with this low audience. Um, and uh, we've been able to produce these weekly shows because we have such a badass production team. Dude, we're, we're filming shows on Fridays uh, doing post-production work and having them airing every Tuesday uh, on IWTV. And it's it's been awesome, man, because these guys, these wrestlers, these fans too, they're, they wouldn't have any other wrestling um, in a safe way. And I'm not, I'm not here to shit on anybody else out there right now. Man, I see a lot of wrestling companies, especially in Texas, that are just unsafe. They don't give a shit. They don't give a shit, man. They're, they're unsafe, yeah. 400 people in a venue sitting shoulder to shoulder. You might be able to count 25 masks. You know, it, it's, it's, they don't necessarily give a shit. Um, in their locker room, they've got, you know, 50, 60 guys. Um, our shows are, you know, we have four matches at max. We have 10 guys in our locker room, 10 guys or girls in our locker room that have all had, you know, COVID testing and whatnot. It's, right. it's been challenging, man, but it's one of those things that, you know, we've, we've tried to do everything possible uh, in our power to continue to provide safe and uh, safe entertainment in this during like the pandemic. Um, and luckily it's, it's been successful for us, man. Obviously, you know, with the vaccine and whatnot rolling out, we're anticipating hopefully being able to in next year, being able to do full events. Um, but for right now, you know, we're kind of happy doing these lower capacity shows. We actually just now started looking into larger venues um, we have one secured now for uh, the Death Bowl, which is right around the corner. Um, that is something uh, we're really looking forward to. Like we, man, landing a venue that has you know 2,500 capacity, and then basically saying, okay, we're going to take less than 10% of that capacity um, and do a show safely. You know that that to me is the best way of going about things. You know, right now what we've done is we have a venue that seats 2,500. We've limited ticket sales to 100. Um, right. And they're all at tables. So it's like you get a t- two, uh, I'm sorry, a group of two, three or four. Um, you can't come by yourself. Unfortunately, you have to kind of be in groups. So we are able to section off and do social distance safely. Um, I mean, I think I think what we measured is we have actually like 10 feet of space between each table. Okay. Um, and, and it's a huge venue that I feel is a little more. Little, obviously, a little safer to do right now than a lot of other things that we're seeing, but I mean, it's just, it's, we hear it thrown around so much, man. It's just unprecedented. Um, it, it's no one really knows really how to, uh, how to navigate, you know, it's, it's well, difficult, but it, we try, we're trying our best, like building our own map for the shit. 
Yeah, I think that uh, thinking outside the box and and uh, and again, I'm I'm impressed with those really low numbers of attendance. You know, I think I think that's the way to go. It is a job, right? Like that that entertainment, like you know, we're I'm creating entertainment right now, right? And then like, yep. well, some versions of entertainment, you know, do have a certain amount of risk involved, and so you just at, at this point, it's been a year, right? We got to do our best to uh, mitigate that risk while still getting the shit we need as in in as humanity, right? Like we do need right. like entertain. We do need right now. We need to find joy in life. Right. Cause everybody's, and it's like, well, a lot of people get joy from wrestling and you are providing that. Yeah. Some, it's good. It, it, not only that man, but again, you know, just being able to provide the, the platform for a lot of guys that a lot of guys and girls, I keep saying guys catch all term from you know, my bad, but it's like one of these things. It's just like, you know, you get all these, these wrestlers that are just so, fucking talented and they're probably on their onward towards their prime or in their prime guys that are just starting to catch on that have been working at this shit for 10 to 12 years 15 years this 2021 2020 is supposed to be the year that it all tips for them you know because everything's lining up well and it, it it hurts obviously for that to be kind of taken from them and obviously it doesn't hurt, pale in comparison to, you know, uh, COVID deaths and whatnot. It pales in comparison to that. But at, sure. at, on the other hand, you know, it's, it's a shame for these guys, 15, 10 years of hard work to kind of go by the wayside and not be utilized. Cause you know, their prime is going to basically be affected by, by COVID and whatnot. And again, you know, who knows how long we're going to be caught in this situation. We said we've been in it a year could be, could be a few more years that we're in this. Who knows? And who knows? now like, now we're looking at, you know, the the possibility of like a whole crop of wrestlers in their prime that lose out that ability to to perform, you know. So being able to provide a safe way of doing that is extremely important to me. It hurts me almost on a personal level, man, when I see like shows that aren't taking these same precautions because it's like, fuck, man, like there's. I couldn't live with myself if I knew that one of my fans was extremely sick and it was all due to something that happened at my show. Right. You know, it's always, that's, that's my, that's before fucking COVID man, that was our biggest fear. I mean, did we do these deathmatch shows and I'd have like, I'd have all our sign, our fans sign waivers. Um, not because I'm like, Hey, I don't want to get in trouble, but it's just kind of like, Hey man, like, I, just are you okay? if, something, if something happens to you, like i I want to be able to take care of the shit, you know, just because, you know, and, and to know, like, you know, that's with, with, with the pandemic and whatnot, that's increased a hundred times. It's, it's obviously worrying, you know, um, you know, I miss obviously being able to do bar wrestling where, you know, we can pack 300 people into a venue that's only supposed to have 200 and fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. guys shoulder to shoulder with a ring there, you know, like it, it, it's, it's, it's that type of atmosphere is what made heavy metal kind of uh, special to a lot of people. Um, that bar atmosphere was, was, it was awesome. It was like being at a concert, Sure. but now it's a little different. We're in a shopping mall and we have 10 fans that are, you know, that are, they obviously they're diehard heavy metal fan, but it's also just kind of like, you know, how much noise can 10 people really make in all honesty, you know? Um, right, right, right. right. It, at least you have sound. an audience, but again, with wrestling being so, you need the audience to react, right? We right. need them to, to, you know, boo and to pop and all these kinds of things. Um, and so when you only have 10 people doing it, again, <laughs> at least there's 10, but, um, right. Uh, you mentioned, uh, the death matches and stuff. Uh, tell me about the, the death bowl. 
Uh, that, oh man! Tell me about the. It's a big event. Tell me, tell me, tell me about it. It is, man. Like the way I always. <laughs> it sounds awful to say, man, but our fa- our fans are bloodthirsty, man. Wrestling fans can be bloodthirsty, and they sure. require like a yearly sacrifice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is uh, our 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 annual sacrifice. You know, we usually try to plan at least one big death match event a year. Um, last year would have been, you know, the uh, the no ring, no rules. The year before that would have been uh, Texas's first uh, one day deathmatch tournament. Um, so it, it's kind of like a yearly event where we try to do at least one large deathmatch show. Um, and it, it usually is is kind of rooted in that idea of again, you know, these our fans can be bloodthirsty, man, uh, and our guys, dude, our wrestlers, our our, our guys and girls, they're, they're they're bloodthirsty, man. Some of them are just like, hey, man, I, I want a deathmatch because I want, you know to get the shit kicked out of me. I want to kick the shit out of somebody. And I want, I want to be able to feel the fucking bloodstream down my face. Cause I get an adrenaline rush. There's, we got some masochists on our team, man. Um, sure. And you know, I, I, unfortunately I kind of have to lean into that sometimes, you know, and um, it's one of those <laughs> things that it, it's, 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 it's what sets heavy metal apart. You know, um, a lot of people are kind of scared, not, not because of the pandemic or anything. They're just scared of deathmatch wrestling. They don't like it for whatever reason that, they don't think it's real wrestling. They're fucking full of shit. Whatever, right? Um, they, a lot of people just won't touch it. And I, there's so many guys here. I mean, like, dude, Ruben Steele is the fucking I was about guy. to mention him. I'm about to he, mention him. Yeah, dude, I have I and so many others are so fucking grateful to Ruben because, like, dude, I built my company off of Ruben's blood. Like, uh, our notoriety has come from the stuff that Ruben has pulled off. Mm-hmm. And now it's so fucking awesome to me, man, that like. After Ruben has done, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like Ruben's been wrestling for fucking 12, 15 years. And the guy has never really gotten a whole lot of opportunities short of like working at heavy metal. And now that we've been able to kind of put him on a national platform on IWTV and we had, he's had these fucking crazy matches against Casanova Valentine and Ricky Shane Page. It's like, dude, we've been able to put him on a platform. And now these large national like deathmatch joints are fucking finally taking notice and going, wait a second, this guy is fucking great. And now Ruben's booked to some of like the premier deathmatch companies in the world. Um, it's fucking phenomenal. I love to see that, you know, and it's, it's this deathmatch stuff that we do. It's, it's rooted in Ruben. Um, that, and, and, but the thing, the thing that's been awesome to me, AJ, is there's so many other people that are not deathmatch wrestlers that because of the success that they've seen with Texas deathmatch is happening, and they've seen what's happened with Ruben. They've come out of the woodwork and like, hey man, I'd like to dip my toe into that pool. Yeah. And I've always got to, I've always got to pull it back and be like, all right, do you know what you're fucking getting yourself into? Like, <laughs> sure. You know, that's I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna like. It's always music to my ears, man, because as it's all fucking saying in wrestling, you know, red equals green. Um, you know that 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 blood, that's fans love it. You know, so when I have a a, a new wrestler that comes up and they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm interested in doing deathmatch, I always warn them like, hey. Go tell somebody else that. Don't tell the promoter because I'm about to fucking throw you in a goddamn deathmatch tomorrow. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, because, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not what you want to do, you know. Um, but it's, it's, it's unique to heavy metal, um, at least here in Texas, man. A lot of people won't touch them. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we do things our own way, man. That's, that's what we've always done. And Ruben has always been a big proponent of deathmatch wrestling. And I've always been a fan of it, dude. I grew up on fucking watching ECW and fucking Japanese deathmatch wrestling, like FMW and shit like that. Like it, it was always oh, yeah. something that yeah. I was, I was always drawn into and to be able to create it is, is fucking awesome to me, man. No, I've, uh, again, I was a, I was a fan when the, the tape trading days, right. Again, I'd go online and, and, and trade tapes of the, the death yeah. matches from Japan and, 
and whatnot, all the bloody ECW stuff that, you know, I couldn't get in my, my, my region because I couldn't get it with the cable yeah. or whatever, and all these kinds of things. You know, I, I remember that. I moved away from it and, and kind of favored the technical kind of stuff a little bit more. Um, but saw that you in Texas, I noticed that, that well, the deathmatch stuff has kind of seemed to go by the wayside, but y'all were doing it, and then specifically uh, that was uh, Ruben's style, right? Like mm-hmm. that's his thing. I, I hope to have. He's on my short list, actually. I, 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 just, I was just looking through again. I was like, "Oh yeah, Dylan knows him," and and I'm gonna get him on soon. <laughs> uh, so, but but we're acquainted, right? We're acquaint. Me and yeah. me and Ruben are acquainted. I've worked with him, and Ruben can wrestle, wrestle too, though, dude. Like right, Ruben's and so fantastic wrestler. He can you know? really he, wrestle. I worked with him in a very fantastic fam- though, you know, like <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I worked with him in a very family friendly show, and again, just no blood, no nothing, and just but good, like really good. And again, like yeah, me man. as a referee being there working with him and, and was very uh, gracious that way. I always like when one of the boys was like, hey, we want to do this and that with the referee. And I'm like, that's cool. So Ruben has always been really good to me. And I always yeah. admire that, oh, I know he's a deathmatch guy. And I worked a couple gigs with him that were just very family-friendly shows. Well, and I was like, he can wrestle. Like, he can it's wrestle. so good, dude. Ruben's so unique because like, he's so family-friendly and stuff, but he's such a great deathmatch wrestler. He's a sweetheart like, in the locker room. Even, I just I want to sell him out, do, but he's a sweetheart. Yeah, dude, he is, man. Like, even when we do, like, family shows, like, not, I'm sorry, not family shows, like, Ruben doesn't cuss. Yeah. So, like, it's so oh, good wow. to me. It, it's so funny to me, like, Ruben will come out and be like, like, after he's, like, bleeding and doing all this shit, he's like, I'm gonna kick your freaking butt, you pipsqueak! <laughs> and I'm just like, what the fuck, man? Like, you can, you can, you can let it fly today, man. Like, you're, you're That's so funny. this bloody dude, man, and you're saying pipsqueak and dork and stuff like that. It's like, man, you can call him an asshole if you want, buddy, you know? Oh, <laughs> but so that's Ruben, man. He's he's such a, a, a unique person and so... He's a Swiss Army knife for me, man. Good. Ruben's the the, the the top deathmatch wrestler I feel in the United States, definitely in Texas. You know, like sure. he's he's our tag champion right now. Um, when he's not doing deathmatch stuff, he's extremely entertaining. He's he's our guy, man. He's he's what heavy metal's built on. There's just there's a foundation of guys that we built heavy metal on, and Ruben's one of them, man. Great, man. I hope to have him on in a few weeks. Then awesome. Oh yeah. Um, so future, uh, and so weekly shows, uh, on IWTV, uh, death yep. bowl coming up. I think this is actually, this will probably go up after death bowl, but we will link everybody to that kind of yeah, stuff. You can check it all out. Dude, everything that we do is on IWTV. You sign up, oh, live. use fucking code heavy metal. It gives me like a few bucks, put some money in heavy metals pocket. Dude, we keep doing it. We give you live weekly shows every Tuesday night at, uh, 8 PM central time. Uh, and then we obviously have like our special events like the Death Bowl and whatnot that uh, stream live on there as well. And you can check our basically our entire catalog out on there. Uh, IWTV is fucking awesome, man. They've been awesome for us. They're nine ninety nine a month, and it's it's you get so many independent wrestling companies to to check out. We're and one I, of them. And I think that people, you know, one of those things you want to put our 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 money where our values are. And I'm one yeah. of those guys, like you see all these books back here. Yeah. A lot of them are from Amazon, but I try to get as many of them from like independent bookstores and yeah, stuff like yeah. this. But like, and that's the same thing in the like wrestling world. Like I canceled my WWE network shit fucking forever ago. And yeah, it's man. like, okay, well let's like, you know, I would always say like, instead of just, you know, getting, you know, whatever pay-per-view or whatever, like maybe just go to your local wrestling show and buy a t-shirt, right? Harder to yeah. do now, but we can go online. And we can yeah, we can click like yeah. on your stuff. We can get IWTV for just ten bucks a month and watch some uh, uh, independently curated and created uh, wrestling 
that again is that stuff's important, right? Um, that to support the things you want to It doesn't get more fucking independent than what we do, man. Like (laughs) we are, like the like I'm telling you, man. Like we our shirts that we make, dude. We screen print them ourselves. I I fucking I make the shirts. They sit in my uh, fucking my house here, and they dry all over the place. Uh, they everything we make is handmade. Um, there there's it's a labor of love, man. Um, every piece of fucking merchandise you get, you buy a koozie, you buy a shirt, you buy a hat. It was it was made by me. It yeah, was made yeah, by my yeah. wife. Like you know, yeah, like it's in there. Like y'all packed it uh, in it, there in the house. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah, dude. That that is. There's not, there's, it's not some fucking other, like, you know, third party drop shipping kind of shit, man. It's, it's us, man. So like when you support companies like heavy metal wrestling, it's going directly into heavy metal wrestling, man. Um, it goes right back into it. You know, it, it, I think people have that kind of joy of knowing that of like, Hey man, like they, they can sense like it, it's, it's real, bro. Like I said, man, where we started as a grassroots DIY company, we've had some success, but we're still always going to be that same grassroots DIY company, man. That's great. And so looking to the future, what are your goals for Dylan Dunbar or heavy metal wrestling? Fuck man. I just want to keep providing badass entertainment um, for heavy metal wrestling, man. I just want to keep doing what we're doing and get bigger and bigger and hopefully continue to help the Texas indie wrestling scene here. Um, I want to make it pop, dude. For the longest time, AJ, there's been this narrative that, like, you have to, in order to make it in wrestling, you have to get out of Texas. That's always, dude, from the day I started, I was told that. There's words like fucking black hole, and, you know, it, it, that's what Texas was. It's an abyss. Get out of there. You got to go to St. Louis. You got to go to Indiana. You got to go to fucking New York or somewhere like that to fucking to, to make it. Right. Dude, my biggest goal for heavy metal and just for Dylan Dunmar in general has always been to change that narrative, man. It has always been that. It my it's always been my goal. Instead of fucking having you move to fucking St. Louis, why don't those motherfuckers from St. Louis move down here? Dude, Let's make dope. wrestling so fucking hot that these guys are coming down here to live here because that's how hot our scene is. That's always been my goal, man. I don't know if that's something that's going to be accomplished in 2021. But I know that, goddamn man, before the day I throw in the towel, I'll make sure that uh, Texas is best, get to stay in Texas, man, uh, so we can keep growing this fucking scene. No, I, I, I think that's a, a good, admirable goal, man. And I think, again, I think with promoters like you and, and, and the, the new talent that is forward-thinking and, and, and isn't rooted in those antiquated customs or, or quote-unquote traditions, sure. all these kinds of silly things. But, like, no, this Texas could be a super important hub. The talent's there. Are you kidding? Right? Yeah. Like, and so, yeah, you're right. I think it would be a cool destination hub for uh, some uh, people getting their wrestling chops and stuff like that. Yeah, and absolutely. so, and so since this is the uh, Riders and Fighters podcast, obviously you're in the fight world as a res- former wrestler and current wrestling promoter, but I always invert the question for my guest and I'll ask you, do you do any like reading or writing or any interest in, in that kind of stuff? Oh man, this is uh the first time that uh I've honestly ever told this, bro. But for a long Ooh, fucking time, exclusive. I'm actually I I like to think I'm a pretty solid writer. I have to send you some of the stuff that I write. Oh, cool. uh, I used to write, I should say. Mm-hmm. I honestly, it sounds wild, man, but I used to write uh like narratives based around pro wrestling. 
That's great. Um, it's uh, something dude, I've written, I'd say thousands and thousands of fucking pages of this stuff throughout. I started at a very young age, man. Um, I, I would write basically, basically stories that would happen based in pro wrestling, you know? Um, at the time when I was really little, it was using people that I fucking saw on TV, like writing scenarios, like about shit like that, fleshing them out, writing almost like <laughs> full on chapters about fucking stuff. And then it became more along the lines of like, okay, fuck, I, I can kind of make uh, stories based in pro wrestling universes. So it is something that I used to dabble in, man. Obviously, with the promotion and actually wrestling, it's kind of taken taken a back seat. But every now and then, man, I'll get the itch and I'll sit down and I'll just write out some fucking really ridiculous story about like some shit that happens at a wrestling show that you know it it, it, it makes a good scene for me because I can relate to it so much. And never anything that I publish online or anything like that. It just sits on my hard drive and sure. I look at it every now and then. I, I showed my wife and she was like, holy shit, I didn't know you did this. And I was like, yeah, don't tell anybody. You know? well, that's <laughs> don't cool. tell anybody I write. <laughs> well, 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 that's all you do as a promoter at the end of the day when yeah. you're putting the things together. And, well, this is the story, right? And again, that comes back to like, what's funny is I, I uh, you know, I'm working on my first book. It's a collection of short stories. And there's one in there that's a, it takes place in a wrestling promotion, right? And nice. It's like a 15 page or something like that. But yeah, like I, 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 I think that natural ability to be like, here's a familiar world. Yeah. Let me tell you what kind of happens in there or what could happen in there. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I'm familiar with the world, bro. I can set a scene for you. I can tell you the ins and outs of it and, and, and make you feel immersed. And it's kind of one of those things. It's like, hey, fuck, you You might not have known that this was a potential, you know, setting for a scene, but, you know, or setting for whatever fucking narrative you're trying to tell. Um, yeah. It's unique. And it's something that I'm very comfortable writing about and uh, being able to explain. So. Uh, yeah, man, it's I the second that, uh, you know, I, you had messaged me about doing it, I knew that I was going to have to broach that subject. I was like, oh, <laughs> fine, it's going to come out, man, like finally, publicly, they're going to find out. But no, man, it honestly, it was uh, it was writing these like small stories and narratives about pro wrestling were insanely helpful when I actually started booking because I was like, holy shit, man, I've written stories and feuds and stuff like that out, you know, and like I've. I've got it already. I've got a, a fucking handbook that I wrote for myself unintentionally, you know? So sure. there's been situations where I've gone and like, Oh fuck. I remember I wrote this. So like I'll change out, you know, this wrestler for Ruben Steele and I'll change out this wrestler for great yeah. Scott. Boom. Have I got my story already written, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're like, okay, well I need a next week. I need some sort of betrayal. And you go into your back catalog of stuff. You're like, Oh, here's one where we can make it be like, okay, the best friend turns on him because of blank. And you fill in that blank or whatever. And exactly, it, man. And it's exactly. Like, and storytelling so it's, it, is storytelling is storytelling. That's kind of, you know, the reason exactly. I like wrestling is because, well, I studied how to write stories for way too eight years, whatever in, my, in, in school, <laughs> but it's like, Oh, well that's like all wrestling. Like I, it's interesting that, the, again, just peaks and valleys of, of tension and excitement and conflict. I was like, that's just all pro wrestling stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> Dude, so. everything is pro wrestling. That's, all, that's what I've learned, bro. Everything, <laughs> pro wrestling is everything, and everything is pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. That's, I always put that on, on Facebook. Everything is wrestling. Wrestling is everything. And I have a link to whatever <laughs> thing is like pro wrestling. In whatever the is happening. Yeah, bro. And it, it, so it, many, it see, all comes back to it. So, yeah, exactly, man. I see so many reflections and parallels and everything happening in the world in pro wrestling. Um, it's so, it's so funny. It's so funny to me because it's pro wrestling has just changed the way I thought about so many different things, man. And in all honesty, it, it, it really started no shit. Uh, when I was just really young, man. And I, I took a liking to writing out these scenarios and these stories and yeah. 
Um, it helped me get immersed more in wrestling. And it, it honestly was something that kind of paved the way for me to kind of become a promoter, honestly, because if I wasn't familiar with the stories and the writing uh, of pro wrestling, I, there's no way that I would have been able to survive as a promoter and doing our own show, man. There's no fucking way. Um, it was very important to uh, the opening like months of heavy metal. No, yeah, I think that's really cool, man. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that again, as the promoter, you are that that person. You know, when people see wrestling, they it's you're not watching so much a wrestling match. You're watching a show that takes place in a wrestling promotion, right? Yeah. And and so and 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 so in heavy metal wrestling, there's these figures and characters and so on. And so yeah, you need story to have characters do shit. And yeah, and wrestling has that visual storytelling that is so unique to it, man. And I think you do a kick-ass job. And I wish you all the luck, man. I've just been admiring and and, and just like, I thought one day we're going to work together or whatever. Once COVID lifts, all that stuff, I get a vaccine or something. And I'm in town. You need a a ref. I do need a ref. Let's make that happen. If you need a ref, (laughs) uh, uh, you could throw me in there. Uh, uh, I'm down, man. You you got a spot, man. I said I'm all about opportunities. You got a spot. (laughs) There we go. I love it. I love it. Send you my referee highlight reel. Um, Let's go. (laughs) So uh, as we wrap up here, tell everybody where do we get to heavy metal wrestling? How do we support? And and uh, and you can take us home, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. Heavy metal wrestling is on every form of social media. Type our name in, it'll pop up. HeavyMetalWrestling.com is a nice little hub. Uh, Twitter, at HeavyMetalPro. Instagram, HeavyMetalWrestlingSA. Uh, we are on IWTV.live. Uh, you sign up there using promo code HeavyMetal. You get five free days of IWTV to check out some of the best independent wrestling in the game. Plus, you can check out Heavy Metal's entire catalog uploaded there very soon. Uh, we've got weekly shows every uh, Tuesday night on IWTV at 8 p.m. Central. If you're in the San Antonio area, we do live tapings uh, once a month if you're interested in – I'm sorry, uh, once a week. If you're interested in attending, you can hit us up, uh, and we can try to get you on a list And uh, once you pass all our proper protocols and whatnot. Uh, but shit, man, that that's that's everything. We're all over the place. Heavy metal's everywhere, and uh, we're taking over, and you you can't stop me. I love it, man. Heavy metal, heavy metal wrestling, San Antonio, Texas. Now that was a promo, Dylan Dunbar. You still got it, man. You still got it. Right. I can dust it off every now and then, man. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you, man. I'll have you on again, all right? Hell yeah. Thanks, AJ. I appreciate you, man. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to that interview. I hope you guys enjoyed it, because I sure did. I liked having Dylan on. Again, because I am not super tight with him. We're not... We haven't met him. I haven't haven't, haven't been able to shake his hand. But we respect each other, and we have something in common. And so the conversation went real easy. So I just wanted to support Dylan, because I think he's doing good things. If you want to support them, head over to www.heavymetalwrestling.com. Or if you want to type in Heavy Metal Wrestling in any of your social media platforms, you can follow them there as well. If you want to follow the podcast, fightersandfighters.com, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Y'all keep listening. Stay tuned next week. We're going to shift gears a little bit. I got a writer coming on next week. 
Again, somebody I respect and admire, but don't know super well. I'm having Jennifer Mervyn. Jennifer Mervyn uh, writes fiction, poetry, graphic storytelling, and other things. So stay tuned for that. That'll be coming out in about a week. You guys be good. Be safe. Take care.